There's a theologian that I like to read sometimes named James Allison. And he's a fascinating character, a Roman Catholic priest, openly gay, something of a thorn in the side of the church hierarchy. And his theology is distinctive. One of his calling cards is that he insists always that God is free of violence. That the God that we have is not a God of retribution or vengeance, not a God of death, but a God of life, pure, abundant, overflowing life. And Allison uses this funny word about God all the time. He says, God is effervescent. And as you read his writing, you see it over and over. Sometimes he even says God is ineffably effervescent. And I think to myself, what is this effervescent God? And I love it because it makes me imagine God as a kind of heavenly Alka-Seltzer tablet. Sparkling, bubbling. That's what effervescent means, right? And it's comical, but I like it because Think about what happens when you put that tablet into water. It's a burst of energy, a burst of bubbles, and it lasts for a long time. And I start to imagine this effervescent God, this bubbling God, this God that's full of life and vitality. And it reminds me of the passage in John's gospel where Jesus says, the living water I give you will become a fountain of water in you that bubbles up to everlasting life. I think of the mythical fountain of youth that all those explorers used to look for. And of course they never found it. And of course that kind of fountain can only heal you in your mortal life. But Jesus is talking about something more than a fountain of youth. He's talking about a truer kind of life. And it makes me think about life and death and what they really are. Our first reading today, we had the wrong one printed in the bulletin, but you heard the right reading from the Wisdom of Solomon, this text that was written between our Old Testament and our New Testament. It's from the part of the scriptures called the Apocrypha. And the author just comes out and says, God did not make death. It's as if to say that death is not part of God's plan for the world. This author says, God created all things to exist, not to not exist. The generative forces of the world are wholesome. And that reading today actually skips over a number of verses in the middle. It's a kind of sandwich reading with the middle taken out. But the middle is interesting because the verses that are skipped over are a kind of imaginary version on the point of the author of the perspective of people who don't believe what he believes. And so it's this portrayal of people that say, essentially, life is short and sorrowful. We were put here by chance. And when we're gone, it'll be as if we'd never been. Consciousness is just a spark generated by our heartbeat. And when that ceases, our bodies will turn to ash and our life will fade away like mist. 
And I think it's an amazing passage, and I'm sorry it gets left out of today's reading because I think it expresses a view that's very familiar to us in 21st century North America. This view that the material world is what there is, that we're here for no particular reason, and that when we're gone, we're gone. And so the passage continues, and these imagined people say, let's eat, drink, and be merry while we're here. Let's smell the roses, which, fair enough. And then the passage turns more cynical, and they start to say, let's oppress the poor man and rob the widow, because after all, there's no true righteousness, and might is the only true right. And the passage ends by them seeing a righteous man and they hate him so much that they ambush him and torture and kill him. Now, I don't actually think that atheism is just a gateway drug to becoming a sociopath. I live in 21st century California and more than half of the loveliest, kindest people I know are atheists or agnostics. You don't have to believe in God to be a good and moral person. But there's still something that sticks with me about the first part of that passage, this kind of stark and somber assessment of life that says, we're here, we die, that's it, who knows why, so let us eat, drink, and be merry, for this is all there is. And I think that resonates with a lot that people feel in our society today. If life has no true meaning, then we have to make our own. And we might do that through seeking pleasure or through devoting ourselves to a cause or ideology that can give our life meaning, or even just through hunkering down with our loved ones and trying to make a nice, safe life with family and friends. But the wisdom of Solomon sort of sweeps that away and says, no, death, God didn't make that. That's not for you. You were created for incorruption. You were created for eternity. So what you are and what you do today matters forever. He says, death isn't just something to resign yourself to. It's the enemy. And we were made for life. It's a kind of optimistic, life-affirming statement, and I find it very attractive. And in our gospel today, we see a Jesus who kind of seems to be the living personification of this kind of effervescent life. He brings healing everywhere he goes, just in his pure physicality, sometimes even apparently without knowing it. All the woman with the hemorrhage has to do is slip up behind him and touch his robe. And then later in the passage, his very touch brings a dead little girl back to life. And it's if his very flesh is a kind of irresistible contagion, a good contagion that spreads to everything it touches. And it really works with this idea of effervescence and this idea that death is the enemy and not from God at all. It's powerful. And I'd like to end the sermon there and say, turn to Jesus and have life, and your body will be healed from whatever ails you. And if you have a hemorrhage, it'll be healed. And if you 
are dying, you won't be. And even if your loved ones have died, Jesus will bring them back. Just come to Christ, come to the sacraments, meet him in baptism and the Eucharist and taste the medicine of immortality. If only it were that uncomplicated. Because of course, how many other hemorrhaging women that day were there in Israel that may not have met Jesus and gone unhealed? How many other little children died that day and weren't raised? And how many faithful and beloved people throughout the ages have prayed and sought healing and put their trust in God and still had their prayers apparently unanswered? How many of us here today have suffered deep debilitating illness in our own bodies or seen our loved ones suffer or seen our loved ones die? And so there's a dangerous road to go down where we might say, oh, you must not have had enough faith. And that kind of toxic theology does great damage to people. So we can't just stop with effervescence and just say, yep, God is life. And if you're experiencing death in your life, maybe you just haven't prayed enough or been faithful enough. We have to go deeper. We have to grapple more with what life and death really are. You know, Wisdom of Solomon can say God did not make death, but God's world sure includes a lot of it. Even runs on it. Plants die so that animals can eat. Animals die so that other animals can eat. Generations give way to generations. The evolutionary process itself seems to depend on death and massive amounts of it as life flourishes and then vanishes and new forms of life burst forth. And anyway, miraculous cures aren't permanent. Even this hemorrhaging woman and even this little girl who had her life restored presumably still died one day. And of course, so did Jesus. So if our hope is in this kind of this worldly bodily cure alone, we'll still turn out disappointed. But maybe one way to think about death is to think about it in two ways. And maybe we could call them death with a little d and death with a capital D. Death with a lowercase d is the end of the physical processes of life. Death with a lowercase d means that your heartbeat stops and your neurons cease to fire and your body returns to the elements. And little d death is part of a cycle of life. And in and of itself, it might not have to be terrifying, except that there's also big D death, death with a capital D. And that death is the death of self. And it's the severing of relationship. It's extinction. It's what the writer Madeline Lengel calls being X'd, being X'd out of the story, being crossed out, being erased being forgotten, being separated from God, being lost. Big D death is where the horror of death comes from. 
And way back in the book of Genesis, in that powerful story of the beginnings of humanity, there's a hint that little d death and big d death might not have had to always go together. In the story, Adam and Eve are created mortal. There's a hint that they could become immortal by eating of a certain tree of life, but they don't do it. Because before they get the chance, they turn against God and the relationship is broken and big D death enters the world. And so now and forever after, there are these two kinds of death. Suddenly death has its sting. Suddenly death has its horror. And no wonder that people have been trying to find a way to escape it ever since. No wonder that all those European colonizers looked for a fountain of youth. No wonder that so many of us rightly crave healing, cure. What we can say is that Jesus is an effervescent fountain of life, but not just lowercase l life, capital L life. What we can say is that Jesus is the source of our identity, of our being, of our self. And that when we are in relationship with Jesus, we are in relationship with God and with one another. And that those relationships can never be lost. Now, sometimes in his ministry here on earth, that fountain of life burst out also to cure people. Also to stave off, at least for a time, the power of little d death. And that has been happening from time to time ever since. Because sometimes prayer does bring about cure. Sometimes there are miraculous returns to health and ends to suffering and people coming back from the grave. And thank God for those things because they are signs of God's love and God's power. But it's never for certain. We might say there's a difference between curing and healing. Curing defeats little d death, at least for a while but healing is about conquering big D death. Healing is about restoration to life that is abundant life, life that is in relationship, in relationship and lasts forever and can't be defeated even on the other side of the little D grave. At the cross, Jesus met death with a capital D and he took it captive. He defeated it. He took away its sting. And so in Jesus, we will never be exed. We won't be separated from God. We won't be erased. There will be a time when our mortal bodies will lie in death, when our organs will cease to function and our elements will return to what they once were. And we will still be held in God. And we will rest in a God who also is able to raise us up on the last day. The old Eastern Orthodox chant goes, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death, trampling it down by means of death, and bestowing life on those in the tombs. He spreads around life wherever he goes. He can hardly help it. And he has it for us. So may we drink deeply from his fountain. 
And may we live as people who need not fear that death. And who know that we are precious. And so is every single one of God's beloveds. Because we are made for relationship with God and each other into God's eternity.